I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. And we love stories and talking about stories. So we're looking at the Bible as a story that's filled with real people. And we're hoping that if we um, show the human side of these people in the story, um, that we'll see God is real too. That's right. We want to try to read the Bible with curiosity and maybe let our imagination do more work than it gets to do when we read scripture sometimes. So we're going to start with the question, what did these people eat for breakfast? And we're going to see where it takes us. How did they start their day? And how did the rest of the day go? Welcome to The Breakfast Translation. So the premise of our podcast is, has everybody just heard in the intro, right? It's this, this weird idea that paying attention to what people might have had for breakfast or thinking about characters has, has people who have breakfast might help us understand their humanity a little bit better. I'm curious because I have my own answer to this question. I'm curious, Keaton, as we've done this podcast, if you found yourself weirdly thinking about what people eat for breakfast. Actively in my life, I have been quizzing the people around me to try to understand it. Not even, not even fictionalized, not even story people. I am trying to Real humanize people. the people that are flesh and bone in front of me. And something, a game that I've tried to play is I guess okay. ahead of time to see how well, like the depth of my understanding of this person. Okay. And then I received the answer and it's been... Has it been it's surprising? Been Has it been? I, I'm decently, I'm decently good at it. Which <laughs> so everything that I've spoken to for this podcast, all the guesses I've made so far, you can take as gospel. Yeah, it's probably true. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I I found myself doing it more with fictional people. I think that's the, the healthy <laughs> response. Um, although I feel like I should. That's a good practice, though, to to try it more with r- real people. But because I. I've been doing it like as a way to feel more empathy for characters sometimes. Right. So I had uh, a few days where I binged succession and I was in like, I had back pain. And so I was like, I just needed a show that I could just watch. And uh, that had been on my list for a long time. And so I started watching it and almost all the people in that show are awful. Okay. Yeah. I'm not familiar with the show. Yeah, I've heard of it, but they're awful. They're very funny sometimes but they're they're mostly behave very badly and they treat each other very unkindly. Is it like a funny and their awfulness type yes. of thing or okay. uh and so one of the things I've done is to kind of like is I've tried to just imagine them having breakfast. Now they're all ultra wealthy, so it's kind of a fun practice too to like imagine the world's their oyster. Yeah, they and they travel like in the first couple seasons they travel to like these really exotic locations. There's like Several episodes that are only happen on yachts. So it's a little extra fun to like mm-hmm. imagine their breakfast as compared to mine. fruit in the shape of a swan or something. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, but it's also, I think it's like imagining people at, at the, and maybe this is me projecting, but mm-hmm. I feel like every morning I wake up and think, oh, I'm going to be, today's the day. I'm finally this kind of person Yep. instead of the person I've been for, you know, some 40 some years. Today's the day, right? There's something to breakfast being a, a meal of like possibility. Yeah, that's and so true. I think it's, it's for several reasons. It's like one, the fantasy of like a, a wealth, a wealthy swan like breakfast. Um, but also trying to just imagine them in a fresh moment or something and like mm-hmm. a merciful moment. Uh, so it has been, it's been useful to me in that way. And I think I could maybe apply that to real people. Mm -hmm. Uh, and sometimes I have done that. Like this is not breakfast related, 
But one thing I've done when I am in like interactions with people I don't really understand, you know, like people that I that I could come to like conflict with or whatever, where I, I just don't quite get them. So I'll try to just imagine them being quiet. Mm. And I not like in a, in a like fantasy, like imagine them shut shutting up. Kind of <laughs> but more like, than being con- like contemplating. Yeah, and... like I just try to imagine them in a quiet stance. Mm-hmm. Like imagine them in a place of them being humbled or being like listening or even if I even if they're not practicing that in front of me. Right. Um, just trying to imagine that possibility of them being that person. Because many of them probably are. I just don't see that side of them in the moments I'm in with them. So uh, that's where we are. I, I think it's, I do think it's kind of a useful, uh, fun, like character practice, but it might also yeah. like it, like you're using with your folks, you know, and are pestering about their breakfast. <laughs> it could also it's be been a, a fun way, way to get to know people. Yeah. yeah, it really, it really has. It's it a fun, a I don't know depth. if we've talked about this, but on video shoots and stuff, that's often a thing that you ask people to do like a mic check. You ask them what they ate for breakfast? Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. In all the years I've done like video interviews and stuff, when you're just trying to get somebody to check their mic. That's a great idea. And you always end up learning a little bit more about I, I them. Think, I mean, it's yeah. a window. That's why we practice it. So yeah. I've tried to use it to, I don't know. Yeah. Get a little bit, dig a little deeper with some of the people that I don't eat breakfast with there that go. are in my life. And I think ultimately it's about curiosity, right? And that's how we're trying to approach the scripture. But if if we want to extend grace, it should also be how we approach all the peoples. Right. Little do the people know that I'm asking how much I'm reading into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Their humanity depends on it. Based on your answer. Yeah. Sure. So in the, in the passages we're looking at today, I think we should say that as we're kind of making our way through Luke, there's things we're missing. Like we're not reading everything. We're just kind of looking at some highlighted stories. So we might be missing some stuff along the way. Um, but today we're going to look at a couple of stories in Luke seven and the people we're going to meet in these stories, they're in distress. Mm -hmm. They're not the succession people on the yacht. Uh, they're people who are in distress, both of them, but they have something, uh, that's what they have in common, but everything else about their lives are different. Uh, so the first story is about a, a centurion, uh, who is kind of a Roman soldier who is concerned about one of his servants. Um, has you kind of read this story? Did it remind you of anybody we read about uh, previously? Yes. In Acts, we read about it previously, but it's fast forwarding too. Right. I know we did everything. <laughs> the disciples. It's fine. But yes, we <laughs> ran into Cornelius, who was also a military man. Yeah. Um, who also had several people under his... I, you, it, it's difficult because I think we think of them as like being controlling. Right. But they're really responsible for these people. Right. I know. I think they refer to it as a household. Right. And some of the language is, is tricky for us because it talks about them as slaves or servants. Yeah. And, you can't help but tense up. Yeah. Because we immediately think of sort of the American system of slavery, which was pure evil. And there's certainly some evil to the the Roman Empire and and to their class system as well, um, but it's also I think it's it's not the it's not exactly the same because if you were a person of wealth and means, it would have been expected that you hired people. And there are still cultures like this where there's a heavy class system, 
Um, but if you are a person of means, you're almost expected to hire housekeeping or you're expected to hire a driver because there's a class of people who have not been afforded education and opportunity. And those are the only kind of jobs they're really trained for. So it's not ideal, certainly, but it would be kind of a cultural expectation. Is that you picking up what I'm throwing down? I'm picking up yeah. what you're putting down. It's it's complicated. It's not exactly what we what we know. It's yeah. still it's still messy, but it yeah. there's a different sense of responsibility involved. Yeah, because I think like. the American story, even though it's not, we don't really live up to it. But the American story is sort of that everybody can become anything at any time, which is of course not really true because mm-hmm. people have different access to opportunity and education. But in these cultures, especially, it would have been true that you would have been kind of born into a certain destiny, really. And so so the most, the best thing that could happen to you might be for somebody to hire you to work in their household. Um, and then but the absolute best thing would be for you to get somebody who was kind, um, which probably didn't happen all that often. But it happens here in this story. Mm-hmm. where this centurion we we find out is concerned for his servants and for the people that serve his household um and one of them is is sick and so he's asking for Jesus's help to heal his servant um any feel for this guy and uh I think when we talked about Cornelius we talked about him having like a big old buffet for breakfast right I know and I yeah. I, I part I mean I'm tempted to just say the same, same thing he wants yeah. to take care of he's at least the guy who always picks up the bill I think uh, is one end. thing about him. Yeah, like he would always do that. Uh, and maybe he is just a guy who makes sure that everybody else is cared for, hopefully, because he's certainly doing that uh, in this story. And Jesus uh, appreciates that about him and responds to that. Right. So, yes, confidence adds to that idea of, and I'm getting the check too. Right. And because he kind of appeals to that. He says, you know, I am also a person who has authority and can make things happen. But this thing I can't make happen. I can't make this guy better, but you could. And so Jesus is responsive to that uh, and heals this man. And then Jesus kind of goes along and runs into another family uh, that's struggling. And this time it is a widow who has one son who is near death. And um, I'll just say, uh, if you... I don't know if people think about this very often in the Gospels, but if you read through them, there are several stories where Jesus is moved by somebody's story. Many of those stories, the thing that seems to get Jesus is the thought that it's somebody's only child. Um, which is not to say that he's like, oh, they have siblings. So it's, it's fine. <laughs> Got a sister. Yeah, there, there's, there's some spares around. Um, <laughs> but I do think it's particularly telling. Again, because this is a world where wealth moves in strange ways and in unfair ways. So the wealth of a family would have depended on children to inherit it. Uh, widows particularly would have been dependent on children to care for them. So here's this widow who is probably hoping that her son will stay healthy enough to take care of her. And to keep an income coming into their house and that whatever they may have got from the father is still available to her and her son. So uh, this story is also about the economy, right? In the same way that Cornelius, or not Cornelius, but Cornelius adjacent guy um, 
what I think is kind of beautiful is that Jesus responds to both of them, right? They're total opposite ends of the spectrum, but Jesus responds uh, to both of them. Um, so Jesus eats inequality for breakfast. <laughs> but <Ba-dum-tsh. laughs> I wrote that in the notes. I'm ashamed to say it, but it's also true. Uh, I will say I am particularly like, so I have a story of my own that I think about every time I see one of these only children's stories. Uh, we talked about how, so the music that people hear coming in and out of our podcast is by my sister, Chris, uh, who died at 34 breast cancer. So for a lot of my life, I've been sort of a functional, the only child. And, uh, that does carry like a certain burden to it for sure. And probably about, this is probably about 10 years ago, I had some friends who were trying to, to, they wanted to do something cool. They wanted to do some church planting. They kind of invited me to, to think about joining them in that. And it was like an offer to go, but I would have had to move. And I very purposefully was living like within a quick drive of my parents because of that only child burden, because of that thought that I needed to be close by. And I remember at the time, like, I, I don't know if you grew up with this, but I kind of grew up with this narrative you know, when we saw the disciples in the last story, like they drop everything and follow Jesus. Right. And I kind of grew up with that picture that that was what it was to follow Jesus, that everything else was in, was secondary to like the, the calling of Jesus. And mm-hmm. that for some of us, that did translate to professional calling. And I always kind of would put myself in that lot that that I served the church first and my family, friends, relationships were after that. And so I remember being torn, like thinking, oh, does God want me to move away from my parents? Wow. And feeling that like tension, because there are also things that Jesus says, you know, he has some, there's some stories where it says would be disciples come to him. And he says, he says the same thing he says to the 12, like drop everything and follow me. And they say, but we have a couple of things we want to go do first. Mm -hmm. And one of them, I think, is even to go bury his father. Wow. And Jesus says, you can't come if you're going to look back like that. So I've always kind of had this narrative in my head that it was like one or the other. Right. But then I remember at that time, like reading through the gospels and just trying to get my head around what it means to be called. And instead of noticing those passages, what I noticed instead was how often Jesus is sympathetic to only children narratives. Mm-hmm. because it's not just this one. There's actually a few of them, uh, especially over the course of a few different gospels um, where Jesus is particularly moved by the plight of a family who's losing their only child. Yeah. He understands that, that two way relationship and the responsibility that's involved in it. Yeah. And he seems to have a sympathy to that, right? He is ultimately uh, empathetic to the struggle of people, which I think we all know, but I don't know. For some reason, I just grew up with that idea. And I and I think it's in us in some way mm-hmm. that we have to constantly choose between calling our family or that they're somehow separate. Um, and I think it's also in the narrative, not even just the Jesus narrative, but the narratives that we sometimes settle for. That's like it's yourself or your family mm-hmm. that that you have to choose between your calling, your destiny, your purpose. We, yeah. And you have to set a boundary. Your right. family. It's all even the time. super present in media. Yeah, that big idea of like, it's either your dreams or your family, right? right? And 
And certainly you could read the gospel and, and see this sort of call to something other than family. But what I noticed that read through um, were these narratives instead of these only children. Um, and so I think it's just important for us to kind of pay, pay a little bit of attention to that because this does break that form of, you know, sometimes Jesus does tell people drop everything. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, and sometimes he enters into their world to take care of that relationship. Yeah. And he mm -hmm. mends the world they find themselves in. Mm -hmm. um, so instead of like, we don't have a, a strong sense of these characters, right? Like we don't learn anything more about them necessarily than their, their stress. Right. Um, but so what I wanted us to do, maybe do instead of just imagining what they would have for breakfast is maybe imagine what it would be like the day after, mm -hmm. you know, like for the centurion and his servant what's breakfast like the next day um after this servant now knows that his boss would go to this distance to bring him back to health and to life uh this family this widow and her son now understand just how vital they are to each other right so what do you have for breakfast the day after that for for my family being together and celebrating something always means cinnamon rolls. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You go sugar. Yeah. You add some sugar into the mix. Yeah. I love that. But what, what, yeah. What, what do you eat that captures how special that is? Yeah. So I think it, I would go to my comfort, Chili. comfort, like eggs and bacon, probably like, uh, but yeah, maybe you add cinnamon to the toast. I think mm -hmm. that's what we would do. Maybe it's just add a little bit of extra. And you cheers your orange juice. Exactly. Yeah. And maybe, maybe you pour a little champagne in the orange maybe juice. Maybe you I do. Um, but I think it's that, that one thing, of, like, as we talked about at the beginning, like imagining people having breakfast in movies or around the office. Mm -hmm. But it's that imagining uh, breakfast has a, has a new start feeling. Like, as we were reading these, I was thinking about all those, like, first day breakfasts like the first day of school or the first day of a new job, like that these people all get that day after fresh start breakfast, the day after surviving something that is now a new day. Um, that sometimes that first breakfast can also mean some new start mm -hmm. to something. Um, so I hope, I think that's actually something we all need more of, <laughs> you know, like even when it's not some giant survival story or some, the turn of the new year, like I think maybe it's every Monday, every Monday, every is Monday a new we start. sass up our breakfast a little yeah. bit, we add cinnamon to the toast or something, uh, or champagne to the orange juice. You, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't do that early on Monday morning. <laughs> <laughs> maybe wait till lunch. I don't uh -huh. know, but I don't know. Just that idea of like using breakfast as a, as a fresh, fresh start. Yeah. Is in my head after these stories. And the idea that all of these characters that we meet, the people who get healed, they have a next day. That's you know? right. They're not yeah. in the story again, but their story doesn't end with getting healed. It ends that it begins with it. So. Yeah. And I'm, neat. I'm also obsessed with those kind of stories. You know, we never get to see at the end of movies, like the conflict has just resolved. Right. And we get like 10 minutes. Right. Of happily of ever after. Phase. Yeah but we don't get to see how that plays out for them in, in big changes. So uh, I think that's a part, a piece of all of our stories that could use a little more development. So uh, thanks for joining us on the breakfast translation. If you like what you hear, we'd love for you to tell somebody about us or to tell the internet about us. Uh, if you don't like what you hear, uh, it's all Keaton's fault. So. <laughs> I take full responsibility. <laughs> thanks for joining us. See you next week.